Join me, Harriet Gould, for the Lab Matters podcast to hear fascinating stories every week from the inspiring people behind the science. In this episode, I speak to Apprentice winner Ricky Martin. Join me to get his take on the future of lab scientists. Hi, Ricky. Thanks for joining us. Um, Now, you, uh, you graduated from... Cardiff University with a degree in biochemistry um, and have has since built a, an empire supporting talent in the life sciences with the help of Lord Alan Sugar um, after winning BBC talent show The Apprentice back in 2012 um, which it's so interesting we'll come on to that um, but um, when when you google your name it says TV personality um, um, and that's not just from The Apprentice is it? No, there's, there's other things. I mean, I think that's definitely a tertiary skill of mine by far. It's, it's not what I would lead. Um, but normally, if you Google Ricky Martin, you get a Latino pop star. So I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. OK. So what was it um, that you that you were on before The Apprentice was? So 2009, I was on, it sounds like I'm a BBC person, but um, 2009, I was on a programme called Total Wipeout, which was a water-based assault course for a bit of fun for the family. So I did that in 2009, um, which was good fun, going to Argentina, Buenos Aires and filming assault courses that you'll never do. It was a good bit of fun. And what on earth made you do that? Because I mean, you you know, we all watch it and think, gosh, that looks fun, but I'm not sure I'd attempt it complete default so I, I didn't apply to it in any way I, I was living at the time I not long graduated from university so I graduated 2006 so this would have been 2008 I had a housemate who was basically got an audition for the pro program and his car was broken he's like I need a lift to the NEC in the Midlands for an audition I was like well yeah I'll give you a lift but only if you get me an audition so we just spoke to the production company and said like this person would like to come along and like well you know a lot of people would like to need that well at the time, I was a professional wrestler. He said he's, he's got some other colour to his personality. So they said, all right, come along and um, drove in there. He had his shot, didn't get on it. I had my shot, got on it and fortunately won it. So um, it was a great experience. A happy story. Uh, so well done for winning that. Pretty, <laughs> pretty impressive. Pure luck. <laughs> um, and now looking at you now, it's it's hard to imagine you haven't always been an accomplished media literate businessman. Um, but but like many of us, you have you had a paper round and a, and a shop job amongst other more humble beginnings. Um, but you you knew early on that you had to work hard to earn money. Um, but but what made you choose chemistry and the and the life sciences? What what inspired you down that route? Twofold, if I'm very honest. Well, no, threefold. Um, firstly, I always believed some type of academics and STEM can open doors. I think having like a staple degree, whether that is, I don't know, mathematics and engineering or or, or science, I always felt like it gave you options because it's desirable. It's seen as an academic focus. It seems that if you can pass that, you should be pretty astute in what you do. So first and foremost, um, I thought it would put me in good grounds long term. I mean, the emotional side is like from a scientific perspective, there's nothing better than medicine saving patients life. Um, there's nothing I think bigger than that and it's something I've always admired Um, but as a 16 year old um, just going to do my A-levels 
um, I wouldn't have known that medicines make a huge difference to the world. I've been a 16 year old teenager who just cared about, I don't know, playing football in the playground or whatever it might be. So um, at the time I just excelled in my GCSEs in sciences. So I thought, okay, I'll do biology, chemistry, um, maths and history. So there's a bit of kind of writing skills, not just kind of kind of analytical brain. Um, so I did that as an A-level and like when my uni options came up, I'm like, I want to do STEM. Don't really know what I want to do. And this sounds really bad, but biochemistry was biology plus chemistry put together. And I'm like, makes sense. I'll give that a go. So partly it was to get a degree in a discipline that can open doors, a good degree. Um, how I applied it, I was clueless. And I think most people should feel comfortable being clueless of what they really want to do long term. They just got to seize opportunities in front of them at that point. Mm. And so you did that in in Cardiff, is that right? I did, yeah. Cardiff University. And how did you find it? Were you, were you amongst a lot of other people who were as open minded as you seemed to be back then? Um, uh, it was interesting. Um, I loved the university experience, and I always say this to: um, if I was now completing my A levels, I probably wouldn't have been able to afford university because the prices of tuition fees are really high. Um, I had a single. Um, only one of my parents was working while the other one was growing up bringing up three boys and my dad was a bricklayer we weren't a family of wealth so I probably couldn't do university these days so um but at the time it worked out for me um I went to that I worked in sales to support university so that I could actually have a lifestyle as well as afford my student accommodation um where it was mixed is like there are a lot of people who are very very there's a lot of people doing biochemistry that wanted to be a doctor and couldn't didn't get the grades to be a doctor. So biochemistry is almost a precursor into going to do medicine. So there are some people that were almost destined for medicine and medicine only. So there was a pocket of people doing that. There was a pocket of people who I'd say are quintessential scientists, really good at the analytical side, but um, some other areas of interaction sometimes are a little bit different. So um, I found myself as not an outsider, but just a different type of student in the course that I was doing. But that's brilliant, right? It opens your eyes to the differences in all us, the variety of life. So like, I loved being a student, but more than anything, the independence that I think people gain as going from being what I would call a kid to a student is a big thing. And if you live away from home and you have to pay your own bills and you live with other people, you need to learn how to be domesticated without it being your parents or your grandparents around you. I actually think some of the life skills you gain over those couple of years is, is probably the bigger outcome. Not to mention when you're in the university system, ultimately you've paid your fees. Like They want you to pass, but it's not like being in school where they, everything is about passing. At university, you are, have to be self-motivated to turn up, particularly in science where you're doing very long days. It's not like history where you do four and five hours a week. You're doing 40 hours a week of tuition and study and lectures and practical and laboratory. So um, it was a great grounding for the future. I self-motivated, got to work hard, um, got to get used to working with lots of different character types and people that aren't necessarily what I was used to interacting with at school. So look, brilliant experience, but the independence is bigger. And that's the biggest benefit I think that a uni degree gives you. Mm. I think that's fascinating. It's so interesting to hear your take on that. It really is. Um, so you said- I would, I would caveat with that, that in, in the world these days, with the cost of it, it is quite expensive. I also think that people can really accelerate their future by getting work-based training, doing apprenticeships. Um, not We don't recruit for apprenticeships. And because I was on the apprentice, it means nothing to do with apprenticeships, really. It was just an apprenticeship, really, in, I guess, business to a small extent. But 
Um, I think apprenticeships, work-based learning can be really powerful as well. And you can get that reality experience while you're getting qualifications. So both offer great paths. Mm -hmm. And you, you really cut your teeth in the recruitment sector before conceiving of the idea of your own company didn't you absolutely I'm, i i think if i'd gone to do the business from day dot would have been flawed i wouldn't have known the legislations employment practice um professional standards codes of conduct not to mention i think when you're starting a business from scratch doing it with no knowledge of how it's done puts you at a really distinct disadvantage so i've been doing it for a number of years for a business and had a great grounding in recruitment and i was able to build up a network and personal brand might sound the bigger thing than it than it is but I was able to build up I, I had a name to some people and what I did so when I went on my own it was a softer land and then if I'm like hey I'm completely new to all of this I've never done this how, how can we help so I did it for a number of years first and I, I would never have started a business I didn't have some type of passion or knowledge of mm. and you got some advice as well didn't you from a, pre from a previous boss yeah um, look, I've, I've had great advice from a few bosses then some of them are now consultants to my business now and help me in other ways mm -hmm. um and but not not all of them were thought you should carry on being called ricky is that is that right oh absolutely <laughs> i mean you won't are you if you look if you it's the second frame up there um if you actually look at that frame um it's actually a joke towards it when, when i left the apprentice i was given business cards on one side it said richard martin which is my birth name um, and the other side said Ricky Martin with like a disco ball and stuff like that saying oh you've got two characters and the advice I was given today one is there's no way you can be called Ricky because we're a professional business doing a professional service and it's a stupid name and I was like look I get that but I've also been working in sales for a year it's what I like to be called um, and um, they refused or he refused at that point in time to to nurture that and enable that and within six months of almost calling myself Ricky when he wasn't listening and people ringing back saying, can I speak to that Ricky chap? Um, and he'd asked them why they're like, I could just remember his name. Um, I think they realized the reasons why it was worthwhile. So yeah, that, that was interesting earlier. That person's not a consultant to my business. these days. <laughs> well, we, we won't ask his name unless we want to share it. Um, <laughs> no, <I won't. laughs> um so you had this idea, you knew you wanted to work hard to earn a living, you, you 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 wanted to set up your own business. Did you always plan to seek investment or was the apprentice option uh, simply a timely one? Um, yes and no is the honest answer. Did I need £250,000 to do it? No. Um, because I'm not, I'm a service business. I'm not buying product and stock. So ultimately myself and the people that work here are my stock, if it were, and you can pay them over 12 months on a salary, right? So I'd need enough to run until we could generate income. So I didn't need 250K, which is what I seeked and is what I got from the investment. However, um, at the point in time, I felt like I was ready to leave the business I work for and do something for myself. I was also just in the process of buying my first house and in the process of funding a wedding. So at the time, my capital from what I was earning from what I did in recruitment before was pretty tied up. And I'm like, I either wait a few more years or I strike while the iron's hot and kind of look for investment. And it was probably more by chance, the apprentice, it was kind of like one of those in jokes at home saying, that's where you could get your money. And I'm like, oh, I really could. You, you always think you could do that. And um, I always thought I would do okay on it because I, I'm a recruitment 
people work with different characters our jobs to work with people and that program is all about interacting and get the best out of relationships I always felt like a recruiter as long as they had a level of humility and honesty about them had the ability to prevail um be it in fact yeah, one other recruiter has one since um but at the time um it used to be you get a job with what would have been sir alan at the time and now he's lord sugar um and then they change it into a business investor at that point they changed the process to an investment my money was tied up in house wedding and and, and what i was doing with life-changing events there that actually it just so happened to be apply now and i thought let's give it a go let's see how we get on yeah and that's fantastic and you because you know i mean thousands of people apply for it so even getting a place isn't a given let alone winning yeah um, and then the, the, when, when i got the first audition I remember turning around to my fiance at the time, now wife. She's like, oh, you'll get on that and win that. I'm like, you just don't know that. I said, you don't know if they're producing a program that year or casting applicants for a particular need that they have. You just don't know what what, what they're trying to trying to get in that year. Um, I said, but if I do get on it, I think I've got a fair shot um, at that point. And like, look, fortunately, it worked out for me. Mm. I think um, what you mentioned about when you went to university, having that open mind and being comfortable not knowing is probably one of the things that maybe helped you a lot uh, with the challenge. They, they always say magic can never happen in your own comfort zone, right? So one of the things that is almost impossible to do, and I think the older you get and the more responsibilities you acquire, the less risky you want to become. You want to be comfortable and risk-free. And, and I've got little kids and they're in schools and all these different things. So I get those things, but you cannot really create, innovate or do anything um, when you're just sat in kind of the run of the mill kind of your comfort zone. So for me, it's always been, I've always worked on the mantra that, I'd rather regret things that I do and the opportunities I take than regret never taking the shot because mm -hmm. I'd never want to kind of get old and sit there thinking, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? Why I would feel like that was a, I'd let myself down. Whereas I'd rather do it. Like could have gone on the apprentice and it could have imploded, right? I could have gone on been fired week, one week, two said something stupid because I reacted emotionally to something and boom, there could have been a bit of career suicide there. So you've got to take opportunities and risks. Yeah. And that one certainly paid off. And so now how long it, it's been, what must be 12 years, I guess. Yeah, so we're we, we, we moving to our 12th anniversary very soon this year. So yeah, 12 years the business has been running. Like We still run the business as a 50-50 partnership. I'm, I mean, we're both shareholders, but I'm also an employee. So I'm in the business five days a week and he takes an investor shareholder role. Mm -hmm. But um, the business has gone from some seed investment from him at the front end and a business plan that I had constructed. I left the job to go and do this to best part of 50 of us across three offices. And we, we, we've supplied and supported over 10,000 people with their careers in that time. So I'm really proud of the impact that we've had and, and what we're doing. And that we've lived during all of us, we've lived during COVID in that time in the UK, we've then had to also be managing Brexit and now we're managing the recession. It's been interesting from a talent supply and support in a market perspective but um, you mentioned, would I have done it without the experience? If I, if I go back in time, I started my career in recruitment a few years before the last recession. So the kind of the credit crunch for, for those that still talk about it or remember it. And that was a really good grasp for me on what talent happens to talent 
how they can be supported during difficult economic times so redundancies restructures reorgs how you can help people if you can't just place them so that was a really good dare i say hard learn in my early career that when the marketplace has been interesting in the last few years post pandemic because science had a very positive kind of hangover of the pandemic because obviously the vaccine manufacturers made it a very busy time for us to and it actually made science on the kind of the the radar for most people at that point i feel um but it's been a very good learn so without those early learns i think i'd have found it very hard to navigate my business in the last five years and do what we can to help people with their careers mm. you're here with me harriet gould for the lab matters podcast if you like what you hear please rate us on your favorite podcast platform and then when you when you get people um, who are looking for new opportunities, I mean, do you try and instill your experience in them in terms in terms of pushing themselves outside their comfort zone? Like, do they come to you and say, I'd like this kind of job? And you just say, well, actually, why don't you look for this one? I think yes and no. No, because sometimes people just know this is what I've spent my whole career doing. I don't know if we think of... Um, I think in the pharmaceutical industry, a, a job like a qualified person, it's the person who releases um, um, drugs to marketplace and signs it off to say these are absolutely safe. I've checked there with the conditions and it's a very responsible role in an organisation. It takes a very long time to become one. It's a very, very specific role with very acquired skills. Generally, when somebody comes of such a level of expertise, and then it, it's quite this is what I'm looking for. And the parameters are a bit different. It's what I'd like to lead people to do that. Or I'd like to do that. And maybe it's logistical. I think we find probably more the earlier to probably mid-level careers. That's when you can say, have you considered how you apply yourself in this way? Or you've come to me with a scientific pedigree of working on this. And actually the way that you articulate what you'll do is brilliant because I might have studied biochemistry, but I don't practice science in the labs. How you describe something very technical to me is amazing because I can understand it. So have you considered roles in communication or project management or business development? So we can make suggestions. Um, and sometimes it's the other way. We're actually trying to say to people, you're unrealistic. Like, I don't know. Sometimes, and, and sometimes that happens quite often with early careers. Um, mm. They come to me saying, well, I want to be doing this role in, in two years time. And like, that's not going to happen. Like, unless you get money and set up your own business and it has a level, you're not going to be the CEO in two years time, even though I know you've just graduated and everyone wants to be a CEO and it's a really cool job title. And sometimes we have to be realistic with people on that through experience. Um, I think they'd probably be quite grateful for that. Some will, some won't, some will, I'm doing it anyway. And like, and I get that and, and I understand that, but um, we try and be as honest as we can with what we know. And if I look at the business, I mean, we've, between all the people that worked there, I'm almost 20 years into recruitment and I've got other people with similar, we, we've got about 200 years worth of experience accumulated across the whole organization. I like to think we're well positioned to give people fair advice, but ultimately it's just advice right we, we, we it's somebody's decision what they want to do and how they do it and mm -hmm. if what we suggest isn't of interest then absolutely people need to follow that path um mm -hmm. they normally end up coming back and having a conversation when they realize it's not not reality but um sometimes um you want to be as open-minded as possible but you have to be realistic in certain points of your career as well yeah and i think that's fair i mean at the end of the day these job moves are going to be changing people's lives and yeah. the jobs that they're doing are going to be changing people's lives. And it's and it's 
in the, we i mean our vision is a business is we're a business that want to provide solutions that change lives that is what we talk about and changing lives is by helping companies make great medicines that make a difference to patients so they improve the quality of life they save their life they change their life in a, in a, in a meaningful positive manner um and it's exactly the same with candidates exactly that we're like look you need to look at the business's internal while you would like to do this i don't know you'd like to be a principal scientist now you're a scientist whatever it might be you need to look at the reality of the businesses and how they can develop and train you like what does that experience look like into how can they impart knowledge onto you how can they support you to be the best that you can be and sometimes that reality is not just the person's ambition because ambition is good um but sometimes it's the reality of what that company are able to do. It's like, well, why can't this company do this? Why can't they give me this salary? I'm like, because that's not in context with how they operate. You probably therefore need to not look at the SME businesses. You need to be looking at the blue chips that have everything mapped out and have a process for everything. Sometimes it's trying to match that personality with the business culture, which is probably, that's the real art in recruitment. It's not CVs for job descriptions. I think a computer can do that. Um, in the world we live in it's actually trying to understand somebody's behaviors competencies and match that with the values of a business and that's when you get really what i'd call rock star rock star placements people who really are be able to kind of really stand out rock star placements that's brilliant that's i love that <laughs> um i can't help but notice over your shoulder um that uh, a great big gleaming cup um did you <laughs> Um, is that a prize? Did you win that, or is that an award for one of the team members or some? Um, no, there's a couple of trophies there now. You there's think? a few things. I mean, I won't show them all. There's a few things littered in here and other places. Some of them are, and obviously it gets worse. There's more stuff over here. What um, are we looking at? More trophies. Belts, of... You've got loads of things. So look, it's my character type. We've got awards for what we've wanted in the business. There's stuff for me independently. Um, actually, one of my proudest ones, which sounds like a plug, but it's not is here that's my when i got awarded my membership to the royal society of chemistry because when i launched the business in 2012 i launched it at burlington house which is the hq of the rsc and at the time um i'm going to sound really bad i don't know who it was um it was the chief executive who basically came to the event and gave me that 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 evening because i'd made my application i'd got my references i was adding an impact to sciences so that's one of my proudest ones all this other stuff is um, it's great. It's good recognition, but you can never sit on your laurels, right? You have to always innovate and, and be the best you can be. What's next? What's next? So do you think you'll ever go back to wrestling? I saw the wrestling belt on the shelf. I'd love to, but I'm old. I've got kids. <laughs> I'm older. I've got kids. And um, it's time. It's training time in the week. It's traveling on a Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. My when I set up the business, I basically stopped wrestling and said, I can't commit myself to everything because otherwise I'll be a very, very poor husband to be to my wife. I said, so particularly when I started, I said, I will commit my Monday to Friday to my business and they're going to be very long days. And outside of that, where time is, I'm not going to be spending it tracing my wrestling dream. But at the weekends, when I used to travel for that, I will give that to my, to, to us as a couple and hopefully a family one day. So um, I'd love to, the, 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 um, the actor within me thinks it would be amazing, but the, um, I think the honest reality of it is I probably can't do it like I used to in my 20s. Fair enough. I think I think that's a very realistic outlook on it. Yeah. Um, so what do you think you're going to be seeing or hoping to see in, in the world of um, lab scientists for the future? 
I think first and foremost, um, the positive side of me wants to continually see the current amount, a lot more investment from government, investment into the nation in terms of science. Um, if I look at the global landscape, because we work with businesses, I mean, UK has always been our core marketplace, but we're doing a lot in Europe and, and America, North America now at the moment. Um, UK has always been seen as the center of excellence for research. Um, if you think of some of and it's not just saying Oxford and Cambridge, yes, they might be two big names internationally, but there are some tremendous universities in this country. If you think of Manchester and some of the skills and tools that they have for um, for science are incredible as well. So I'd like to see more investment continually to happen. I'd like to see the UK position itself continually position and improve its position as being an excellent centre for R&D. Um, manufacturing, I mean, COVID made us instantly think we can't rely on international supply chains. Let's build it ourselves. We're an island. So very quickly, we started building things and trying to make us more independent. And very quickly, when that we kind of got away from COVID, those things disbanded, which is a shame. So manufacturing has had a bit of a hard time, just like it did in the last recession. It had a hard time and we relied on research. So where do I think? I think a continual push of money coming into research and life sciences. I think laboratories and the excellence we have is great. And I think people who want to be involved in laboratory based science, it's a brilliant home to be. I think things to consider would be what that science looks like, because if we look at medicines and the landscape around, and this is me probably leaning from both by being I guess a forever student of reading journals and magazines of science, but also working with companies as well. Um, there is an advancement towards more complex molecules. I think traditionally when I started hiring and, and supporting the space, traditional pharmaceuticals, the things the companies who made kind of tablets, capsules and, and, and traditional small molecule medicines, that's then evolved to more complicated medicines. So antibodies, enzymes, vaccines, it's live compounds, larger molecules, more complicated, harder to make, harder to replicate. So commercially, a business doesn't have to worry about everybody copying their ideas so quickly. And then the last kind of couple of years has been more advanced therapies, so cell and gene therapy. So how we're able to do complete personalized medicine from taking a cell from somebody, processing it with all the magic that science can offer and putting it back to the patient to help them regenerate more cells or genes. So I think science will be interesting. I think there's always innovation in all of it, but I think there will be an increasing demand into advanced therapies and biologics. And I think the last year that slowed down a bit because it, those advanced therapies aren't making commercial money yet. So investors now want to see money back when the market's tight. When the market's not so tight, they'll put more money in it. So advanced therapies will always be, personalized medicine will always be a very interesting space. The other area is going to be the crossover between wet lab and dry lab. So the wet lab is what I love, the traditional science kind of, I don't know, um, running an ELISA, doing a PCR, doing some type of blot. So kind of traditional wet kind of science. But more and more of the companies that are seeing money are kind of those biotech businesses that are coming up with kind of using artificial intelligence and machine learning to almost predict exactly and precisely how sales will interact as that drug is being developed. So we're seeing more and more companies that are small startups that are getting a pot of money in there. Half their workforce is a wet lab and half their force is a dry lab. So that is computational chemists, that is bioinformaticians, statisticians using these powerful programming tools to predict science and then the wet lab to prove that science works. So if I'm looking at science and how that evolves, I think a movement towards advanced therapies is always going to be a positive thing to do. Although traditional small molecules is still great, by the way, I'm not going to turn people off that. And I think being open-minded to how science and tech come together 
Um, I think that's going to be really exciting as the years go on. And I can see us as a country being positioned more and more as a biotech powerhouse um, where the ideas that come from universities, we, 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 we can we can fight science on both fronts of a computer and kind of in a Petri dish, as it were. So um, that's how I think science will evolve. I think it will be more pushed on that kind of R&D side and we'll be seen. We're always being seen as an excellent centre, even more so. Um, I think that's going to continue to be strong and like. I've said this ever since I started this business and before. I just wish more people saw science as a sexy space because it is an it is a life changing industry, and like we cannot all work for Facebook. No, you're right. We cannot all work for Facebook. Um, Neither do we all want to either. But <laughs> there's a lot of the people who think that's the the homes of the future. No, it's really it's really nice to hear you articulate the fact that the um the future and the more traditional methods can blend and work well together because I think there's there can be a lot of skepticism around AI and and how that fits in to how we currently do things. Um, well, I think look at COVID. It was such an uproar. Like I'm not going to fight on either being a pro-vaxxer or anti-vaxxer, like lead people to their own opinions. I think most people in science realise the benefits of the vaccines and what they can do. But we're such an uproar kind of in the nation and probably in the world. And should we take a vaccine or should we not? And let's consider that this is already a vaccine that was used for SARS that was re-engineered for COVID, right? So it's already something that's being used that's been repurposed, right? So we haven't had to do years and years worth of making this drug completely out of nowhere. It was so hard to get people to adopt the vaccine. And it was almost like a publicity campaign to tell people, look, please, like, trust me, this is in your favour. And it needed the pandemic and deaths around us for people to adopt it. Could you imagine how long it's going to take for people to adopt computers designing things like the tech will work it will be sound but the adoption rate and then the regulatory kind of uptake of that will be slow and that's where i'm saying traditional methods with new innovation will take a very very long time to happen and i don't think people need to worry about the traditional side of science because the consumer public uptake will be the thing that holds it up not how well science can work mm -hmm. which is fascinating and means that everything will it means that everything will um have a long time to actually reach the standard it needs to reach before it gets yeah. anywhere near the market exactly a shame it means there'll be probably medicines that could be made much quicker and save many lives obviously if you think of the real humanity upside of it the downside is the pessimistic side oh my god it's judgment day terminator two's turned up site signet or whatever they call it taking over it's going to be an interesting world over the next 10 15 years for stem yeah, well, fingers crossed that we're all here for it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so are you are you going to be watching The Apprentice this year? It's just started, I think. I I do watch it every year. Um, and as a as a viewer, like I, I, the emotional side of being on it is well gone for me. It's over a decade ago. So the emotional side, oh, I remember doing that, it's gone. I watch it from a, a few different folds. One inevitably I end up having conversations with people about it. So I'd rather have a level of being informed than not informed and people talk to me on a topic. Um, but chances are I'll end up getting to know whoever wins it in some capacity and they might ask for some advice that if they've won it and they've got a new business partner that I've worked with for 12 years, they're probably going to want to find the best way. So there will be somebody in there that I will probably end up knowing and forming some form of relationship. Um, so, yeah, I watch it every year and I do sit back like everyone else and I laugh when they do something stupid and I laugh again when they probably then do something stupid again. So I get it. But I also know how hard it is. Mm. Who do you think is going to win this year? 
absolutely clueless it was the worst first episode i've ever seen in the 18 years of it if i'm being brutally honest um mm -hmm. in terms of the quality but the task that was put in front of them i don't believe gave the best success that the candidates could have. i think i think they were doomed from the start of that task as a group of candidates what, what do they have to do it was a task where they had to basically do a corporate deliver a corporate experience to corporate companies and it's normally a task that's done much later in the show um, because when you're trying to deliver that type of thing where you've got entertainment structure process and things, there's too many cooks at the start of the apprentice. There's too many candidates versus the tasks that actually they can do. And as such, nothing gets done right because they're all clambering over each other. Not to mention they're still trying to learn that they're being filmed to do a program and it's the apprentice that they've probably watched and they're still too heightened by there's cameras. This could be on TV three four episodes in that you, you you've lost that like you're like oh, i'm just doing a task because i want some want an investment so i think that that task was chosen um for maximum entertainment purpose and unfortunately for the candidates minimum ability to show expertise mm -hmm. as most tasks aren't designed to be in the favor of the candidates that said yeah well, we'll have to keep watching about <laughs> what happens. Absolutely. Well, Ricky, you you seem to win everything you touch. Um, so well done. And, and thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Harriet.